0: those people knew this truth that in the depths of despair when death is near when things get as bad for you as you feel like they possibly can there is always hope in a God who raises the dead Morning. I want to share with you is the title of a really good book. Uh, don't let the title put you off. It's called The Dying Hours of Good and Bad Men Contrasted. Uh, it's a it's a it's a really good book. It's it, yeah. Again, the title's not great, but um, you can order it online. It's not very expensive. Uh, I think there's a you can get it online as a free PDF. Uh, so if you want the link, please do let me know. And it, the title self-explanatory. It gives us the account. Uh, the last words, the, the, the final few hours of uh, some good people and some not so good people. Uh, and I just want to share with you a couple uh, to highlight the contrast. So uh, John Wesley of Methodist Church Connection, uh, his, last word, his last recorded words on the 2nd of March, 1791, were, the best of all things is that God is with us. Last thing that he was recorded as saying. Uh, The Reverend Robert Bolton, he said, I am, by the wonderful mercies of God, as full of comfort as my heart can hold. And I feel nothing in my soul but Christ, with whom I heartily desire to be. On the other side of the coin, uh, there's a guy called David Hume. Uh, widely regarded as the greatest ever champion of infidelity. Kind of do whatever you like. If it feels good, go for it. And he wrote uh, in defense of pretty much every crime you could you possibly think of. He wrote in defense of that and justified why he thought that it was all right to do those things. And his dying moments uh, are recorded as being those of extreme agony and horror of mind his nurse, who had uh, been through this process with many people over many years, expressed her fervent desire never to witness such another deathbed scene as long as she lives. So there is a huge contrast between those that die with a saving faith in Jesus and those who do not. So the point of sharing this is that those who have looked over the edge, who have thought thought about and acknowledged and truly seen what is coming next. Those who see that their death is close, their death is real, but who have a faith in Jesus have a very different view over the edge to those who look at what is coming without a Savior by their side. Now, maybe this morning you're not on uh, death's door, Maybe you're not about to breathe your last this very morning, but we're often put into positions—some uh, maybe day by day, often week by week—where we are 100% confronted with our own mortality, the truth that one day we will all die. It's a bit uncomfortable to talk about. Uh, it's very, but it's very, very real. Maybe it's you're, you're sick, your sickness, it's the brokenness of your body. Uh, reminds you that one day this is going to fail finally. Maybe it's the ease with which we slip, trip, and, and stray from God's command. And in our sin, we're reminded of the brokenness of our existence. Or maybe it's something totally random and unexpected. Wednesday this week, I was in this room about 8.30 in the morning. I sat over there somewhere and did a a really short, life-saving like first aid class and uh, you don't need those no- you don't need the skills you don't need that knowledge if people are never going to die do you know what i mean you don't learn life saving skills if you don't need life saving skills and all of that to say what we see in those moments where we accept that death is coming for all of us will inform how we live now and it will impact hugely how we feel about life in the here and now, when we accept that this is not um, all there is. And this is exactly what Paul is presenting today. Uh, He's sharing with the Corinthians that he has very much on multiple occasions. He's looked over the edge, and he's now communicating that to them for their benefit. And as again, as Sean said, we're going to look, and we're going to learn. We're going to see what it looks like in our lives. And I'm going to share with you this morning a big picture Mind blowing. I, I think it's mind blowing. Maybe it's because it was tiny mind, a big picture, mind blowing, full Bible connection. The best things to look at. Anyway, so uh, if you've not done so already, I'd love you to join me in Second Corinthians, and we are going to pick up in chapter one, verse six. So. Paul writes, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort that you experience in your patient endurance of the same sufferings that we also suffer. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. And it, we kind of broke it up in the middle of a paragraph last week, and he's, he's obviously continuing. He's talking about how sure that comfort is uh, that we talked about last week. And he's, he's telling the Corinthians, look, if, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. And if we are comforted, then we will pass that on, and it's for your comfort. As so he's saying, look, if, if, if Paul, if, if he and the other members of his team, let's say, were afflicted, it's for the good of God's people like the Corinthians that he is writing to. And God has a bigger purpose in Paul's suffering than just working on Paul himself. Sure, the trials and the tribulations that Paul is going to experience are going to refine his faith, kind of burn away things that don't need to be there. But there's a bigger purpose than just working on Paul. And the same is absolutely true. Uh, For you and for me, how many people have ever prayed, if if you're comfortable enough sharing, how many people have ever prayed a prayer along the lines of, um, like God, just just use me, I want to be used by you to touch the lives of other people. How many people have ever prayed something along those lines? Okay. (laughs) It's a great prayer, don't get me wrong, but it's a really dangerous prayer. Because how do we touch the lives of other people? We talked about this last week with the comfort we've received when we've been through our own trials and tribulations. it's, It's a very dangerous prayer to pray because you're inviting, you're asking for God to bring suffering into your life so that you experience his comfort, so that you then pass it on. To those around you, so it's a great prayer, and I would encourage you to pray it. But it's a real thing. So if you're going to pray it, then you know, just be aware. It's a, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really dangerous thing. But and Paul says, "Our hope for you, what we know about you is, is sure, it's steadfast. We know you're sharing the same sufferings that we are. Probably not the same things that Paul went through. I think there's often, you know, Paul's often talked about as the most widely travelled man." at this part of the world at this time, probably the most afflicted man uh, in this part of the world at this time as well. He rattles off a list in Second uh, Corinthians 11, and you just think, like, how does this guy keep going? All the stuff that he rattles off, one by one, would have knocked most of us out for sure. So he's saying, look, we're sure that you're going to be comforted. We are sure that you're going to be, your endurance, your patience is there because you're going through the same kinds of things uh, that we are. And as we said last week, the comfort is absolutely guaranteed. And this was a, a really core message in the early church. This is not Paul going off topic and just kind of making it up as he goes along. This is a really core message backed up quite a few times in quite a few places in the New Testament As you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort. The comfort of God in a crisis is promised when we trust in him. Amen? We talked about that last week again. The God of all comfort in his very nature, who he is, is a God of comfort. And he's never going to leave you, nor forsake you. And as he was with his, his people before, Old Testament, Old Covenant, now through your faith in Jesus and how that has restored you to right relationship with him, the same promises that went with his people through trials and tribulations are very, very much true and very, very applicable to you. And as you're working through trials, tribulations, disappointments, distractions, that progressive sanctification, all the little things that happen to us that make us day by day more like Jesus. As we're going through that, the God of all comfort that we talked about, that we read of, is personally present in your life, is present through his people to strengthen you, to console you, and comfort you. Paul writes, as you share in our suffering, so you will share. Our comfort, absolutely. (laughs) He doesn't say, Look, if you're going through some sufferings, keep going, and maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't say, If you're going through some stuff, good luck. As you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort. And then he gets really quite personal in order to help the Corinthians, to comfort them, to encourage them. And he's reinforcing his point that trials and tribulations of the believer really allow them to help other people. So he's going to share now how, uh, like those accounts of the the dying moments of people, how Paul is going to share how he has looked over the edge, how he has been confronted with the very, very real reality of his own death, and how he is still full of hope. Uh, So we'll carry on reading verses 8 to 11. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of living. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He delivered us from so great a risk of death, and he will deliver us. We have set our hope on him that he will deliver us yet again as you also join in helping us by prayer, so that many people may give thanks to God on our behalf for the gracious gift given to us through the help of many. And so he's starting to get more personal. We said, uh, as we introduced this letter, that it is his most personal. He's very, very open. He's very, very honest about what's going on. And he talks there about uh, the affliction that happens to us in the province of Asia, uh, just a region looked after by the Romans. It's the area that we would now call uh, Turkey or um, Turkey. I think we're supposed to call it now. Uh, Paul says, look, in this area, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so much so that we despaired of living. Now Here's Paul, this ultra-knowledgeable, full of faith, personal experiences with Jesus, and things were so bad in his life that he says we despaired even of living. Paul, with all that he knew, all that he experienced, all that he believed, he says we just we just wanted to die. We, we did not want to be alive anymore. And that gives us an idea of just how bad Paul had it. At times, And if you read around, uh, what could this be? What was so troubling to Paul that uh, he just didn't want to live anymore? There are at least five, possibly more suggestions. Uh, he could be talking about his fight with wild beasts in Ephesus. He could be talking about the 39 stripes that he received uh, from a Jewish court. He's going to get there in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. He could be talking about a riot that he was a part of at Ephesus where it looked like very much he was going to die. He could be talking about a particular persecution uh, that he experienced in Acts chapter 20. Or he could be talking about a recurring kind of physical problem that he was thought to have. Whatever it was, his point is that it was so bad he just didn't want to die. Anymore. He's looking at death, what he knows that brings for the believer, and he's saying I just despaired of living. And because whatever it was, because of this problem, Paul lived day by day with an awareness that he might die at any time. And if you're a highlighter, if you're an underliner in your Bibles, verse nine is so key in this passage. We felt as if a death sentence had been given to us. He's just walking around, living his life, waiting for death to come. He's living with the reality that my death is not particularly far away. And it's so close and it's so real, the end of my earthly life, that we can't, we just don't trust ourselves anymore to rectify this, to fix this. Things have got so bad. He's reached absolute rock bottom and realized he cannot get himself out of whatever his particular problem might be. And so instead, he says, we chose to trust in a God who raises the dead. He's so sure that his death is coming. His only hope is in a God who raises the dead. He's so sure that that's where he's going. That's the only place he can put his hope. And his faith. We're so desperate. We've, we've reached beyond the point where we think we can maybe fix this ourselves. And so we're turning to the God who raises the dead. We are as good as dead, he says. So we're, all the faith, all the hope is going in a God who raises the dead. And as we talked about in First Corinthians, Paul knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the resurrection of Jesus brought both the logical and the theological certainty of his own resurrection, and so he's really, really leaning into that. He knows God raises, and he's at the point where he's he's almost ready for that to be him. And he, he, he kind of wraps up this, uh, this passage. God delivered us, and he is delivering us, and he will deliver us. It's, it's a constant thing in Paul's life, and we've set our hope on him delivering us again. And he, again, he's so educated, so knowledgeable, so full of faith, but he's not too proud to ask for prayer. And you can help us in this. He says, you can help us in this dire situation that we're in by praying for us. Because when you pray for us, God comforts and this is turned back to God in glory. Let me tell you about how God helped me when people prayed for us. But again, I just wanted to, want to pause here for a moment in verse 9. It's so important. In this passage, it's so important in our lives. He says, indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us so that we could or we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Uh, now, we're going to kind of step back and look at the Bible as a as one unified, very grand narrative uh, and kind of add in a couple of examples to what Paul is saying to make this big Grand, beautiful, unified uh, story. And one beautiful example of the truth that Paul is sharing here with the Corinthians is the story of Abraham in Genesis 22. Uh, And we'll talk through it in a moment, but thankfully, it's summarized so succinctly in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. And Abraham concluded, just as Paul did, uh, we read there that Abraham reasoned that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. And in a sense, he received him back from there. Now, if that story doesn't jump off the screen and fill you with this, "Wow, I've never seen it. If that really short summary uh, doesn't do it for you, uh, well, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 22, all the way back to the first book. And we're going to follow along. And there are some key things here to highlight, to underline, uh, if you like to do that in your Bibles. So Genesis 22, Abraham is called on by God for a time of testing, of proving. It's very, very similar language used uh, there in Genesis to that used of Jesus in the wilderness. He's going into the wilderness To prove his worth. Not to see if he was really good enough. Like it's a test that he might fail. It's more of a a proving. So Abraham's called on by God for this time of, of proving. To show his true worth. And Abraham is told there in Genesis 22. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will indicate to you. Really, really interestingly, it's not written here. There's really good evidence that the mountain where they went uh, is the same place, the same spot uh, where Jesus was crucified, which adds a lot of extra depth to this. But it's not written there, but there's good evidence. Uh, So they travel for three days. We're in Genesis 22, verse 4 now. They travel for three days. And during those three days, essentially, uh, in Abraham's mind given what God has told him was going to happen, this son of his, whom he loves, miraculously conceived, son of a promise, all this is going to happen through your son, the son that he loves dearly, the son now finds himself carrying wood for a sacrifice that's going to be himself up the hill, We're now in verse 6 of Genesis 22. And all this time, in the mind of his father, the son is as good as dead. And just, just think about that for a moment. There's three days where this miraculously conceived son, this miracle child who is going to be born to fulfill and carry the promises of God, is, for all intents and purposes, dead. Abraham knew that this, this was the child through whom uh, the promises of God to him would pass. But as of this moment, Isaac's got no children. No line to pass those promises through. So God is telling him, this is going to be the guy. He's going to have children and those promises are going to go, keep going through that line of people. But then before we get there, he's told, go and sacrifice him. And so we read there in Hebrews that Abraham knew, Abraham believed, Abraham reasoned, thought about it, concluded that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. And in a sense, he received him back from there. And so for those three days, as far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was dead. He would looked over the edge of this, this, this word from God. And on this third day, the son is going to die. And so as that story plays itself out, Another sacrifice is provided. And then we read, it was from the dead that he received him back on that third day. And what a, what a beautiful preview that is for us. There's a father receiving back from the dead on the third day, his only begotten son restored to life, to continue his father's work, to fulfill the promises given to him by his father. And if that isn't just a a stunningly clear prophetic preview and promise of what would happen with Jesus, his death and his resurrection, then I don't know what is. And so piecing all of this together this morning, those people in that book, who died with a faith in Jesus, they knew. Paul is saying uh, here in 2 Corinthians to instruct and to encourage the Corinthians, having accepted that he was at times as good as dead. Abraham knew and believed and reasoned and, and experienced. And I really hope that we all take away today a little bit of a new understanding, a bit of rewired thinking about God in our lives all those people knew this truth that in the depths of despair, when death is near, when things get as bad for you as you feel like they possibly can, there is always hope in a God who raises the dead. Amen. No matter what is going on, how bad you feel like it might be, there is always hope in a God who who raises the dead. And so the end of our earthly lives don't bring the end of our hope and our comfort and our help. And for most of us, our own physical death is going to be right up there as probably the worst thing that we can imagine for ourselves. Because it is so conclusive, right? Our physical deaths are quite conclusive. We don't come back to this state after physically dead. We're not talking about resuscitation, whether, you know, like on TV, whether, shock him again. For most of us, a physical death is quite conclusive. So it's up right up there with the worst things that we could possibly imagine for ourselves. Because our lives here and now, the people that we love and live with, Here and now, that's finished. And so there are no more opportunities to love, to live, to learn, to grow, to forgive, to be forgiven, to share your faith and the truths of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit with anybody and everybody. Because there is a a very real finality in our earthly deaths. But when we look at the full counsel of Scripture, we see very, very clearly that for those who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved from the consequences of their sins, who have been restored to right relationship with God, who have been forgiven, who have been adopted into his family, who have life eternal that begins now and continues past that physical death, that even our own deaths, even looking over the edge and contemplating and considering the very real reality of our death, It still doesn't put us in a hopeless situation. And so, for many people, the reality of death is is so hopeless that, as we read at the start, it's so hopeless that it fills people with just utter despair. But as Abraham experienced, as Paul wrote, for those who believe in a God who raises the dead, for those who put their faith in Jesus and is all sufficient. Sacrifice. even then in the depths of despair, even looking over the edge at impending death, there is always hope. And so our prayer for you today is that you take this hope, that you live in this hope, and as Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians, that you will go and that you will share it with other people. Amen. Let's stand and let's pray together.